everybody. Kevin from the JJT Podcast here. Just popping in before the episode starts to let you guys know about some exciting developments happening behind the scenes. As of today, the JJT Podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed, a BJJ apparel company and our first sponsor. Yay! These guys have a great catalog to choose from, uh, starting with geese, rash guards, bags, uh, hats, casual wear, the whole nine yards. And because they love you, our viewers, so much, they've been gracious enough to set you guys up with a free promo code to net you 20% off your first order. Look, I know times are tough, but once things settle down, and they will, and you're back on the mats, the gyms are reopened, you may want to spice up your grappling a little bit with some absolutely sick looking gear. In which case, use the promo code, get that discount, let them know we sent you, and tear off those limbs looking fresh as hell, my guy. Um, just realizing that I forgot to say that the code is JJT, all uppercase, uh, for our audio-only listeners. All right, that's it. Uh, special thanks to No Judges Needed for taking a shot on us. We won't let you guys down. All right, now back into this episode, and oh boy, it's a doozy. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. Still in quarantine, still shaking shaking ourselves loose, still giving you the content you desire. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Kevin Gallagher. That was smooth. I just got it right off the bat that time. I'm still, I'm still working on it. We're just racking up the, the star-studded guest, easily our most mobile guest in the history of our show. He is just all over the place. Uh, uh, he's got uh, a black belt in judo, black belt in uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, has competed in Abu Dhabi, uh, Strike Force veteran, uh, 2004 Olympic uh, judo participant, uh, an all-around amazing guy, uh, Dr. Roddy Ferguson. Dr. Ferguson, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Every, everybody's a little antsy today, so we're going to give him the leeway to, to, to walk around his walk around his kitchen. I have to get my coffee. I have a fix, man. I, I like drinking coffee. I got to get my coffee. When I get my coffee, I'm going to go sit down, but I got to make my coffee. And, uh, You're good, man. I remember the last time we had we we had an interview. You had your big coffee in front of you. That yeah, was yeah, uh, exactly. It's, it's like a thing for me. So, I'm so I never wrote that damn article. I'm such an asshole. I, I, I still have it. I still have it. I'm, I'm, I'm making it up to you by the, by the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. Even, even when I coach and when I teach and when I do seminars, I have coffee. But I was uh, I was doing a seminar one time, and my professor, um, Ricardo Laborio, was doing a seminar with me. And when I was on the mat, I had my coffee, and I was talking, and I had my coffee. And Laborio walked up to me and took the coffee out of my hand and set it down. <laughs> Hey, what, what are you gonna do, right? Yeah, nothing. Exactly. You know what I'm How many pots do you think you go through in a day? I don't. I don't drink as much as I used to. Okay. Hey, you, right. you, like how, you like how I answer that? <laughs> yeah. It, very, it, very like, good it's answer. Like, it's like the man who was. They, it was. It was a joke about the man who was who was cheating on his girlfriend. And he said, "I'm not gonna do it no more." And then she walked in on him and caught him having sex with a midget. And he was like. <laughs> Hey man, I thought you. She said, "I thought you said you were gonna do it no more." He said, "Can't you see I'm trying to cut down?" <laughs> good, good analogy. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about. Uh, I'm gonna about I'm gonna tell my mom she can skip this episode. Yeah. I had um, 
I had an interview with you the last time, and you had some great, great stories about Ricardo Laborio, and I want to try to get into that. You know, obviously, we know you're amazing. We're going to get to some of your stuff with the Olympics, because I know you got a lot yeah. of stuff to talk about with Olympic athletes. And I know, I know you got a lot to talk about. Everybody, everybody, we're at home now. This is real time. We've got kids and everybody running around. So everybody's cool with that. That's what happens. Um, I know you had um, some experiences with Ricardo Laborio in the very early stages of uh, American Top Team. Mm-hmm. So. For those of you that don't know, some of our less than uh, less than understanding viewers that, that might not have as much history understanding of, of jiu-jitsu history, uh, Ricardo Laborio is generally recognized as one of the the greatest jiu-jitsu practitioners on the planet, and also one of probably the baddest man alive. Um, tell us a little bit of some, and it's the fun part about it is is that he's not as recognizable, and he isn't someone that competes regularly anymore. So it was kind of like folklore knowledge throughout the jiu-jitsu community that Ricardo Laborio was the baddest dude alive. Tell us some of your stories and some of your opinions on that, if you think it holds true or not. Um, for sure. There's there's two sides of the family, and Ricardo Laborio is the equivalent of Hickson on the on the two opposite spectrum. The Carlson um, side, right? Yes, yes. Right. So I have, the Hicks, Hickson and Carlson. Hickson was yeah. with... Uh, with with uh, with with Helio and then Carlson. Helio, was, uh, correct. Then, then there's, then there's the, the Carlson line, right? Right. And right. Laborio is the equivalent on the other side of the family. The the I guess the fight that never happened or the match that never happened was the Hickson versus Laborio matchup. Right. Um, I don't I don't ever want to talk about things or circumstances that happen with anybody anybody else outside the gym because you're not supposed to talk about what happens outside the gym. So I just personalize it for me. Right. I, you know, it's just 2005. I'm getting ready for Abu Dhabi, you know, to, I, I don't have a problem with people attacking what I say. I, I say what I say all the time. To me, Abu, Abu Dhabi, for me, it, it fit in the, you know, category, just something to do. Just, you know, not, no, it's not. I went to the Olympics and it's like, hey, we invite you to Abu Dhabi. No problem. Um, so I'm, I'm training for, I'm training, doing the Abu Dhabi thing. I'm not training two, three times a day and, you know, Laborio says, let's roll. I said, no problem. Old guy, I, I jump on the mat with you. And at this time, you're already an Olympic judo competitor. You've already been around. Yeah, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one year outside of the Olympics. I'm cool. You understand right. what I'm saying? I can, you know, I, can, <laughs> I can knock the cold out of my eye at 4 o'clock in the morning and run a, a you know, a 6 In the peak of, uh, of your athletic performance abilities. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, just to give people a – I've – I walked off the street one day cold when I was in 2004 and front squatted 495. Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. That's where I was at that time. Um, So I I get on the mat to roll with Laborio. Slap five, close guard. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, tapping. Like I'm tapping. He let me He grabbed my sleeve, put it, put his right hand on the outside of my knee, lifted his hips up, turned, mount, and then choked me. I thought it was a fluke. Okay, like like I wasn't I wasn't really going hard that time. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I went again. I'm sorry. I, I go hard. Wow. Lapel together. Stand up. Pushing down. Man, yeah. Sweep top choke. Again, I looked at Hanato Tavares. Hanato says, man, he does everybody like this, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Now, three times in a, three times in a row. I don't think the three goals that we did. I don't think that they totaled. I'd I'd be lying if I said they totaled forty seconds. <laughs> now understand this. My training partner. Well, I was his training partner. And for those who don't know, to give you some historical context, there was a time, there was a time period for like a four-year time period where Jeff Munson was the best submission wrestler on the planet. You know that's for a fact, Kevin. Yeah. Like Jeff Munson, he, he was Jeff unbeatable. Munson, he, he, he was unbeatable. I I competed against um Jeff three times. The score was two nothing, two nothing, and five three. That that's Right. I competed against Jeff at Abu Dhabi. We went triple overtime. Okay. And, and Jeff won Abu Dhabi. Right. And Laborio beat me like I wasn't even there. Right. And, you know, I, at, I, at this I, time, Laborio was probably, you know, well past his athletic prime. We're, we're yeah. talking, you know, he's in his, in his 40s or something like that. Speaking of, I watched him roll with every UFC fighter in there. Every, I mean, everybody. Like Jeff could tell you his own stories, right? I could tell you that Jeff had similar outcomes that I had. That's- <laughs> <laughs> I've I've spoken to quite a few other black belts that have trained you spoke, under Mario. You, you spoke to Wade. You spoke to Wade I Rome. spoke to Wade Rome. I've spoke to a couple other guys, and it's generally the consensus that Laborio oh, was was a very nice person and a very giving, caring, gregarious person. But if you ever dared to cross his opinion or to not give him the respect that he knew he deserved, even if he hadn't trained for three months, he would put his gi on, come off the mat, and be sure to tell you that you had made the mistake of doubting him. He's t- he, told a few qu- he told a few stories about MMA opportunities too, and again, I won't drop names, but a, very, but a few very significant names in the early days of MMA that were training an American top team that would question Laborio's words or question his techniques or question or, or were half-assing it when they were sparring. And Laborio would subsequently get in the cage and tune them up, and not to the point of tapping, tune them up to the point of teaching them a lesson. Bro, which is, that, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case with me. He just wanted to roll the roll, and I, right. I was cool. Right. I, another. I mean, he's. I can mention it because he's a good friend of mine. Um, Fabiano Silva. Fabiano Silva's world champ, man. No gi, world champ. Few times on, on, on the Masters. He's training, getting ready for the worlds, getting ready for the worlds. <laughs> he's on the mat with Laborio. He t- he told me, he said, man, Laborio beat the shit out of him. And then after they finished, Laborio says, man, you're doing a good job, man. You're going you're gonna to be a world champion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're going to get there one day. <laughs> he leaves. He leaves. I got a week or two later, goes to the worlds, wins the world championships. He said, "Man, Laborio told me I was gonna win." He said, "He said, <laughs> he said, Rodney, because the, the Brazilians call me Haji." He said, "Haji, I felt so bad after going with Laborio." He said, "I didn't even think I didn't think I was gonna win." He said, "I thought I was horrible." He said, "Laborio told me, man, you're gonna win the world championship." He said, "He went and won the world championship. Absolutely amazing." Laborio's mean... amazing, man. Like he's 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 amazing. Like when when you sit down and talk to him. It's like when he gets on the mat, it's like he cuts the top of his head off and he just sits there and just. <laughs> and, and the information is just pouring out so fast, you know? 
it's it's unbelievable. It's, it's like drinking from a water hose. I've 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 had the opportunity to uh, to take a seminar from Laborio, and and it's it's always fun to really see someone that has a true mastery of something. Because you know, I have I consider myself to be somewhat of a master of the art of jiu-jitsu, but I'm also when you obtain that level of understanding of something, you also understand that you don't know anything. You know, you understand you understand right. how that how that, that paradigm you know continues to open up for you. Um, Taking a seminar from Laborio makes you understand that, that there are people out there that just understand the art of something to the level of, of making it as simple as it possibly can. And that's the sign of a true master. I remember I took a seminar from, um, from uh, Jack Array one time, and uh, it, was, it was literally like he just showed up. You, know, you could tell he hadn't put an incredible amount of thought into what he was going to go over, but he would literally show things. And he would show jujitsu that was so simple and so easy to understand, but also so incredibly effective at the same time. And that was the same feeling every time I got about hanging out from the boyer that he would show things that it's absolute most essential and eliminate all of the fuss to make it so easy and so streamlined that anybody could get it. Yeah, the, the lower level belts could understand it for some simplicity. But yeah, and a higher level and belt could also get complexity, right? Complexity of it, exactly. And that's a right. true, that's a true, true master or something. So, tell us a little bit about. I mean, we, we all, we, if if we we didn't know, we kind of went over it a little bit. You're obviously you were you were a judo competitor. You you competed in the uh, in the in the Olympics in judo, which is you know a feat on and of itself. So we're gonna get to that because I know you have some I know you have some opinions on on judo, and I and I really want I really want to hear that. Not just judo, but the athletic ability that it be, takes to become an Olympian. I want to know what you feel about judo versus jujitsu. Did when you rolled after you rolled with Laborio and you got off the mat at that time? Had you been training jujitsu for an extended period of time? What what belt do you think you were in jujitsu at that time? I, I was uh, I was still a, a brown belt. I still was at, brown belt. I was okay. At the end, I was at, I was at the end of my brown belt, getting ready to. And you trained you trained with, with Lord Irving most of the time for that area, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, based upon that. What did you feel were the pros and cons judo versus jujitsu? And and which do you feel and this may be a dumb way to ask us, so maybe not a very good question, and maybe you can help me with, with, with explaining it. You know, just for lack of a better way to explain this, what do you feel would, would, would be better or worse and why? Uh I, I don't even I don't even get into a better or worse discussion. Right. Like I, I said, I don't like the question, but you get the general. No, I, no, I, I think that I think they're both I think they're both great arts. I think that it's not. It's not. I think. Um, I know because I've I've bathed in both arts at the high level, and I know the level of practitioner that exists on the judo side, and I know the level of practitioner that exists on the jujitsu side, and I understand the the pool of athletes, and the pool of athletes are different. I've even looked at the research and the tests, and the you can go on Google Scholar and look at the physiological characteristics of judo players and jujitsu players it's not there's not a lot of research on the jujitsu players because it's just starting and it just it's just totally different um there's way more people who practice judo in the world than than jujitsu um it's very difficult to have the discussion in a group full of people who don't know because do you, do you feel like that's changing in recent times do you feel like the explosion of jujitsu is starting to well, catch well, up a just, little bit just in 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 I, I the way i would phrase the question is uh, assuming uh that you're just you're meeting someone on the street you don't know them and they ask uh 
what you do? Like, do you think they will have an immediate understanding of if you tell them, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a black belt in judo? Do you think more often people will understand what that means uh, as opposed to I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Where am I living? Uh, you live in Florida, right? Yeah, but it all depends on where I'm living when I answer. Oh, okay. Uh, United States. <laughs> United States. Yeah, United States is. Yeah. But it's, we have a nationalistic media sens- sensationalized culture where we believe everything that's on UFC and and and. And jujitsu is very big in, in the United States. Okay, uh, what about Europe? There, there, there are plenty. Well, forget forget <laughs> what we forget about what forget about what, what everyday Americans think of when they're watching untrained Americans think about when they're watching UFC. I want to know what you, Doctor Roddy Ferguson, PhD, judo Olympian, Ricardo Barrio, black belt, mm-hmm. feels about the jujitsu versus uh, judo debate. I think that there are a lot of individuals who need some a higher level of understanding about the debate about about the debate about the athletic pool. I'm not getting to the the discussion of can I kill you with a sword or can I kill you with a knife? I mean, yeah, I can kill you with both. The the issue is what does it take in terms of difficulty level to achieve the level of world champion in jiu-jitsu? per what it takes to achieve the level of world champion in judo. Are they the same? And the answer is no. One is more difficult than the other. What makes it more difficult than the other is that judo has a, a colander in place, a sieve in place that whittles down those individuals who shouldn't be there and only the top people in the world at the world championships. I, I ask people like this. How do you go to the jujitsu world championships? What do you do? Sign up. Yeah, it's true. No, 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 that's how they let you You tell your friends on Facebook, hey, I'm getting I'm I'm gonna start training for the worlds. Now, Kevin, all right. (laughs) Do you think you can go sign up for the world judo championships? No, no, qualify. You have to qualify. Now, Regionally. Accumulate points. Now, this gives Abu Dhabi some credence over a period of time, correct? Because right. Abu Dhabi has put in a, a qualification process. Regional. The thing about, the thing about Abu Dhabi is Abu Dhabi is still a subset of the grappling community. Th- these, these are really – these are like nicheized sports. So right. you are going to get better people over a period of time, and it is more it is more difficult to get to Abu Dhabi. But the amount of athletes, like the top ten people in the world, on the jujitsu side, on the uh, gi, and the top ten on the nogi side, and the top ten submission wrestlers, and the top ten UFC guys, don't have the same athletic ability as the top ten freestyle judo wrestlers in the world. It's not the same if we measure. Like, how, what do you measure? You measure strength, you measure explosiveness, you, me- you measure VO2 max, you measure sit and reach. Like, there's a different level of athlete available. It's the same reason why, if we're recruiting for football and win the NFL, that, yeah, a, a, a guy can play for Yale and rush for 2,300 yards, and there's a running back from Alabama who rushed for 1,000. I'm taking the guy that played at Alabama. Right, because of the, co- right. Because of the competition because pool. Because the SEC, right. 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 So that's so that's all cool. And I get that. I, I understand that. 
I would want to I wanted to get to that because I know I know you have I I I one hundred percent and I agree with you on a lot of terms. I feel like uh, the world of jiu-jitsu and the world of MMA is starting um, more appealing to these world-class athletes in terms of prestige and the ability to actually make money in modern times to start to appeal. Let, to these guys. Let, let's say let's let's here's the here's the situation. Before we get to that, I, I want to I want I want to still get to the nuts and bolts of the first question I asked you because I get it and I, and, and I don't think you're dancing around. I think you're just misunderstanding. I want to know from an actual you take you take someone on the street and you say, okay, I'm going to ask you what I should dedicate my time to. Should I dedicate my time to training judo if I want to get better? Not to go be a world champion. If I just want to get better, I want to get the benefits of martial arts and learn how to better myself and become more more apt at protecting myself in a daily world because, again, our martial arts are all based in self-defense. That's the premise of them. That's what they're all originated from. What would you tell someone that came up to you off the street if they asked you that question, judo or jiu-jitsu, and why? Judo. Okay. Why, because, why now? Because jiu-jitsu is a subset of judo. Interesting. I like it. Every technique outside of those things that have spawned from sport, and judo has this too, things that techniques that cre- are created because of rules in the sport. Every every technique, every technique from the martial arts of Brazilian jiu-jitsu that was created from a guy who did Kodakan judo. Yet. That'd <laughs> 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 be, be the most ridiculous thing when you see it. It's like it's like the, the 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 posters from back in the day in 1914 say wrestler boxing versus Kano jujitsu. I mean, this is, is the guy that listen, the guy trained at the Kodakan. <laughs> listen, no, no, time on. Let's the, the guy the guy trained. If you go back and read the books like I have done, every ankle lock, every wrist lock, every calf slicer, every oma plotter, every day like Eva. The Daily Hero Guard was around 1920, 1915. Right. Like the Daily Hero didn't. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about Daily Hero. The, the Daily Hero <laughs> Guard. Maybe talk about Half Guard instead. <laughs> okay, right, right. Half. <laughs> not a good topic right now. Let's just take a chill pill, man. We need you, we, we need you to last the whole episode, man. Oh, he'll be fine. You're burning He'll the anywhere. candle at both ends. I've, I've watched Roddy Ferguson coach his kids, man. He could do this all no, day no, long. <laughs> Listen, so it to me, and then if you and if you research a guy by the name of George Meiji, George Meiji was a judo player that, that lived in Brazil, French guy. Trained Joe Marrera, trained trained Valigi, trained trained a lot of the Gracies, trained a lot of the the old school jujitsu guys. Like these guys, a lot of these guys took judo. The old school jujitsu fights. What do they look like? They look like judo matches. Right. There's a reason why they look like that. You know why? Because they were doing judo. What do you say? What do you real, say? Okay, I, I need to ask this right now. Then, go ahead, go ahead. Why, why the why the hell is it called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Because I, I've heard this before. I, I've heard I, that I, it's. I don't, it's like, I don't know. I, I I I don't have I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, because it seems weird. Now and Mar- and further, marketing further, probably. Well, furthermore, sure. why? Okay, so assuming like and and just because this is something that you know that uh, the roots are judo. 
how did they how did jujitsu and judo develop so differently into into how different they look today where like in jujitsu there it's like a lot of pulling guard a lot of inversions and judo uh, i mean does judo like does judo look more you're di- like you're having a different discussion okay that, that's a discussion of art versus sport the arts are the same what you see in the manifestation of the sports are different based upon rule set now the the what you see in terms of the judo side judo is going to be based upon what is going to look great on television case in point if we look at the martial the mixed martial arts marketplace in, in japan or overseas they're not standing people up right away because they don't have that culture where they they, they come from a hardcore boxing or striking culture when you're on the ground in ufc they start booing boo in Japan, they get quiet and get excited. In, in Japan, they get they, exactly. They don't stop. They, they sit and they watch. They actually clap when a sweep happens, when there's no punching. It's, it's a very different marketplace. Now, when it comes to judo, the rules in judo had to change because judo, it's an Olympic sport. I had one guy in, a, in, a, in, a, in one of these Facebook chats with the geniuses that I hang out with on Facebook. <laughs> if you don't follow, if you don't follow Dr. Ferguson on Facebook, you're missing out. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> told me, he told me nobody cares about about the Olympics. To which point, I screenshotted him about the 3.6 billion people who have watched the Olympics. Okay, it's it's jujitsu is growing. It's small. In order for it to grow, it's going to have to make some some changes because the worldwide marketplace is not going to pay to see two people slap five and then sit on the ground. I'm not saying it's not helpful. I've watched it. I know that you can win the matches like that. Nobody is going to pay. And for it to get to the Olympics, it bypasses what we call Olympism or the spirit of the Olympics in that when you slap five and you sit down, you actually take an advantage that you have not worked for. That makes sense. Uh, Dr. Ferguson, I regret to inform you that there's this sport in the Olympics called curling. And as boring as two guys pulling guard and fighting for 50-50 is, I would rather watch that than watch curling. But I I will say this. It's funny you bring up curling because my partner on my other podcast, Sonny Parlin, the only grappling hour, we make this analogy all the time whenever I talk about um, about jujitsu growing to a sport and becoming worldwide uh, and, and getting the, the 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 eye of the public. He always brings up curling as an analogy, and he always says this: there are more people in the world that watch curling than there are all that work jujitsu right now. And, and and we could say you can say whatever you want. You can say boring. You can say you can say it's not cool. It's unfortunate, but it's just a fact. Oh and yeah, look, that. Can let me can let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. They are not putting something on television that is not going to earn commercial dollars. Right. People, There's an that, appeal to the, it. The, the problem that judo had and still has is that it has too many rules. People cannot, they look at it, they don't know what the hell's going on. People getting penalties, and get, they don't know. So they turn the channel. With curling, you know this guy's. He's flicking this thing down, and he's trying to knock this thing off and put his thing in the middle. It's like a kid game. Are you a proponent of of rules in uh, martial art competitions? Of course, otherwise people would particularly die. in. No, I mean I don't mean that. You obviously, <laughs> got to have rules. But are you are you? Uh, no, that's one of the knocks I hear on judo in particular. 
are some of the rules changes they made in, I think it was the early 80s, early 90s, where they took away a lot that you're not allowed to attack the bottom half of the body anymore. You're not allowed to shoot well, that, 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 that happened. That happened after 2008. Right. So are you a proponent in that in terms of leveling the field? Because, you know, in essence, what it does is it takes away from the true art of it. Because now if you can't – if you're taking away the option of holding some, taking holding on to somebody's belt or holding on to somebody's legs, in essence, they're not using the true uh, arsenal of attacks that they have. So it's not pure jiu-jitsu. That's not what it's about. Pure judo, right. That's really not what it, it's really not what it's about. It's about creating more high-amplitude throws for television. Because right. the guy, the guy who is tall, has an immediate advantage that he can use his legs, and somebody like me can't grab them. Right. So a tall well, I, person I, has an immediate advantage. I say that in I say that in regards to uh, watering down the martial arts aspect of it, a it didn't sport. Water down, it didn't water down the art. Jujitsu is going through the same iterations that judo right. has already gone through. It's going to continue to go through. Right, right now, you see this big buildup of the. The argument of jujitsu, the art versus jujitsu, the sport, and how the sport is impacting the art. It happens like that. It's going to be all. It's going to always be this volley back and forth of how art impacts sport and sport impacts art. With judo, judo didn't change. The rules of the sport of judo changed, and that sometimes impacts those who teach it. But you can teach judo in your club the way you want to, with leg grabs and everything. But the point I'm trying to make is, and this is what a lot of this is what a lot of the knocks that the old school uh, jujitsu practitioners have on modern jujitsu. The point of the matter is, is if you're training with the rules of competition in mind, now you're automatically eliminating tons of options for success, which in terms makes the martial art of what you're training to be less effective because now you're limiting your options with your training for a competition. How do you feel that is, is occurred? Do you feel that's something we should be concerned about? And I know it's up to the different structures to, uh, to, to train upon that, but you know, obviously know. You know, if, if I'm training for, if I'm training for an IBJJF match, you know, I'm going to consider the rules of the, of the, of the IBJJF in my training when I'm going out to train the same way, if I'm training for an ADCC or if I'm training for some showing match, I, I, I'm going to keep it in mind. Right. To answer your question, I don't think it makes the art less effective. The art is still effective. It's like Greco-Roman wrestling. Like nobody's complaining about Greco. Greco's strictly upper body grappling only. It's, it doesn't make Greco any less effective. Greco is effective. You go at a Greco guy, what they do is effective. Um, it does not provide for every movement possible because it creates too much, what's the word, um, random, randomness. You have to reduce the, the, the amount of randomness that's in a sport. Otherwise, anybody can win at any time. That is not what the powers that be want. They don't want anybody winning at any time or everybody having a puncher's check. They don't want that. And I, I think that a lot of what I think that one of the market your sport off of that. Right. I, I heard somewhere that one of the reasons why and, and, and I'm only using this as an example and it, because you can use this example in the world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu too. some of the rules they made in line to help with um, with uh, with 
with leveling the playing field a little bit towards jujitsu-minded uh, competitors in terms of wrestling. I think that one of the reasons why they took the double leg out of uh, – this is just what I heard. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. One of the reasons why they took leg attacks out of uh, judo matches is because they were concerned about wrestling-oriented competitors coming in and just shooting double legs all day long and winning matches as wrestling and starting to eliminate the art of actual judo into the matches. When people said that, that's listen. There's no world class freestyle Greco, and there's no world class wrestler going to walk into a judo competition and win anything. Put a gi on, and there you go. Right. <laughs> right. There's no, there's no, there's no world class judo player going to walk into the world championships at, at freestyle and or and, and win. They're not winning. Right. They might they beat somebody from a certain country, but they're not walking through and winning. It's just like it, there's no world class. There's no world class judo guy. Who's going to go to the Jujutsu World Championships and walk through the joint and win it? There's only one guy I know who can do that, and it's, it's not nobody else can do it. Who Flavio is that Canto. guy? <laughs> Flavio Canto. <laughs> when he when he was competing, Flavio Canto could do it for sure. And listen, listen. I, I see your boy don't. I see your boy don't agree. He don't agree. He don't agree. No, 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 no. I was just, I was just getting. I'm like, I'm just, I'm thinking. This is, it's a. There's a lot of history here. I was just going into. Uh, you guys were talking about rule sets in in judo, and I was just thinking about how when you think of jujitsu today, you could be thinking about EBI rules. You could be thinking about IBJJF. You could be thinking about uh, ADCC. Uh, it does are there how many rule sets are there in judo just because i'm i'm really not super familiar there, with there, the there's a main ijf rule set the international rule set and then we have something called freestyle judo and then this freestyle judo that's it freestyle <laughs> judo still allows the leg grabs and all the rest of that stuff okay is that so, not recognized by the uh by the judo federation no no it's a different, different federation. It's, different it's, it's, right, it's, a different, yeah, it's a different rule set. Now, here's the thing. In the gi, there's something called karash. I don't know if you heard of karash before. Karash is all it's all throws, no mat work. All right. Then you got judo, which are throws and then mat work. Then you have, um, what is it called? Chidoaba. Chi, it's either chido, chidoaba or chidoaba. Okay, it's a Georgian wrestling where they got like a they, they got a gi on with no sleeves and a belt, and it's like belt wrestling. And then we got sambo, which is sambo is similar to judo, where you can do the throws, leg locks, and you can do the you can do arm bars but no chokes. And then you got combat sambo where you can punch and choke and arm bar, leg lock, twist and heel hooks. You can do everything. There's just so many arts out there that have sports that specialize in a thing. So the argument of I'm 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 not even I'm not paying attention to the, the 50% of the body. Uh, it's just as dumb as <laughs> it's, it's just a stupid, it's a stupid argument. It, it, that's like that's like saying in football, well, you know, because I can't clip the person in the back. I mean, I'm losing, I'm losing 50%. Of, of exposure. I, I should be able to hit this guy in his back. No, man. It's a different sport. Submit. Here's, here's, the, here's the issue I have. People assume that submission wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu are the same thing, and they are not. 
submission wrestling is submission wrestling. If you do submission wrestling, say that you do submission wrestling. Stop saying that you do jujitsu. Once you take the gi off, you can apply the principles of jujitsu in that environment, but you are now doing submission wrestling. There's no such thing as no gi judo. I got judo. I got a judo gi. I go out and I do judo. When I take the gi off, I am now wrestling. Do you do you feel like um, there are pros and cons to training without the gi or with the gi? I mean, do you feel like what? Do you feel like yeah, both both benefit one another, or both or, or it makes your game worse than us? Both both benefit. I believe if, if we're talking about the conceptual. Every art is a conceptual framework, meaning it has it has a has its own standard canon of what should be taught and what should be learned, and the importance of the doling out of that information from a curriculum standpoint. Case in point, if you say I do jujitsu, okay, that means the expectation of those who are jujitsu experts are that one, you know how to take people down, two, you know how to pass cigar, three, you know how to sweep. In the beginning levels, I don't expect to run into somebody who says they do, they do jujitsu and who's falling back or trying to do leg locks and they have not exhausted the possibilities of guard passing because one of the, beauty, one of the beauties of guard, of, of jujitsu is learning how to pass the guard. Once we get to a point where your guard is, is very difficult to pass, I can't pass your guard. We've exhausted all the things that we have to learn in terms of guard passing. Then we go and we explore other opportunities to bypass the legs. When we put those things in place and we say we do jujitsu, then what we do is we we conflate the, the we conflate the two arts of submission wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and they are two separate arts. I don't think that teaching leg locks early is incorrect. I think that teaching leg locks early is incorrect if you say you're teaching Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I agree with you in that regard. I will take it a little bit lesser than that because I personally believe that, like, I don't mind teaching white belts and blue belts how to go for leg locks. I don't think it's wrong at all. I, I think that it's in the world we live in because I personally, like, as a competitor on the jiu-jitsu scene, like I didn't start doing leg locks until almost brown belt. And it just when I started doing leg locks, it literally blew my mind. And it was like learning conceptually how to look at jujitsu from that for, from it's it's it changes it's totally your different. whole dynamic. Isn't, isn't, there, it, that, isn't, there, isn't there that video of, of uh is it Helio or Carlson doing a heel hook in the gi? Yeah, that, Helio, like, that's Helio, like that Helio, that yeah. Helio doing well, a heel hook well, in the that gi. That just goes right like, back to what Roddy said. For, yeah. uh, further back, I mean, he has books. He's I've seen these books of judo techniques that are showing heel hooks and showing like, calf crunchers and showing, uh, you know, straight ankle locks in, you know, the 1920s from, from old judo techniques that probably go back and predate that to the early stages of judo. Ju 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 I just say this. What, what, I was, what I was getting to the point was is this. I agree with you. I don't mind teaching young belts, or young belts how to do leg locks, but – you're going to learn how to pass the damn guard too. <laughs> like you're not going to use leg locks as excuse to not be able to pass someone's guard. One of my favorite analogies for that is this Matt Arroyo, you know, Matt Arroyo is my black belt instructor. He is, uh, you know, an amazing competitor. He, he fought in the UFC, uh, 
jiu-jitsu uh, ADCC uh, competitor, ADCC qualifier. Um, he was he used to train with Rob Khan, and Rob Khan is Hoist Gracie's black belt. So Rob and and Matt went to go see Hoist Gracie when Matt was still a purple belt. And Matt at the time was really good at straight ankle locks. Like he was murdering everybody with straight ankle lock. And it's, he was a next level athlete. So him and Hoist, he was rolling with all of Hoist Gracie's upper level belts, his black belts and his brown belts. And everyone he rolled with, he was getting to the guard and he was sitting back and he was cranking on a straight, on a straight ankle lock and tapping them all. Well, Hoist saw this and immediately took Matt and put four stripes on his purple belt. You know, and, you know, Rob is standing there and it's Hoist. He can do whatever he wants to do. But, you know, Rob is standing there and he's looking at it and he's like, maybe he doesn't approve, but it's, you know, he's got to let him go. As soon as they left, Matt always tells a story and he says, Rob came up to me and he said, that's great. You're not getting your brown belt until you learn how to pass guard. So it's, it's, you have to have that complete package as far as I'm concerned. Or just like you said, you're not doing jujitsu anymore. You're doing, now, you're doing, you're doing, uh, now, now, you're doing, now understand this. Now, yeah, understand this now. To Rob Khan, there are there is a hierarchy already established. If there's a hierarchy established, then that means that one thing is more important than the other at a period of time, which means one should be taught before the other. Right. That doesn't mean that there's there's no overlapping of the lessons. Okay. But in the initial stages, man, first I don't. I'm not telling people that it's wrong. I don't. I don't teach leg locks, man, first six, seven, eight months. I don't. I will tell you this. I'm not a leg lock expert. <laughs> and and I won my strike force fight with a leg lock. I, I trained under a leg lock expert, Lord Irvin. Yeah, man. Right. I'm good. I got some good transitions. Boom, boom, bam. Finish it off. But I'm not a I, – I don't do the deep dive in leg locks. The – the art that we practice, okay? The art of judo that we all practice. It's big enough for all of us to specialize in. Like, I am a grip fighting specialist. Like, when it comes to grip fighting, I am good at it. I'm not, I'm not as good as leg locks. Right. I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not, it's not, it's not my deal. I'm, I'm really not a huge submission guy. I'm a huge position guy. Well, let's let's get let's get into something else. Let's let's talk a little bit more about um about what it was like to get to the Olympics and the level and caliber of athlete. Because I know this is something you love to talk about. The level and caliber of of athlete that is required to make it to that elite of the elite, which is an Olympic competition, and you know, why that is so special in, in terms of, of, of other athletes and other athletic endeavors. It's just, it's just super difficult, man. It's super difficult to do. It's, I think it's even harder to do now with the new qualification standards for judo, but it's, you're, you're, you're fighting in a, in a, in a worldwide pool of people. I mean, there's a lot of steps to go to. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of sacrifices that you have to make. Um, it's a four-year deal, so it's not like oh, I didn't get them this year. I get them next year. Sometimes you only have one shot or two shots in your lifetime. One of the one of the major predictors of your ability to go to the Olympics is when you're born. Like there's certain sports, like certain weight class in judo, that the sweet spot is 28 years old. Some 22, some between 27 and 33. If you're a heavyweight. Um, like there, there's certain sweet spots, 
if you're born at the wrong time, when you count those every four years, then your sweet spot happens at a different time. I mean, we talk about someone like Jimmy Pedro. There's, there's this guy, Jimmy Pedro, on the judo side. In 1998. I think legendary, went, legendary American judicon, by the way. He went 83 and four. Okay. In 1998, there was no world championship. In judo, they used to have world championships every other year. So in 1998, there's no world championships. So he doesn't win. He doesn't win a world championship that year. He wins something called the Shiriki Cup, which they don't hold anymore. But it was one of the hardest tournaments out of Japan. Won it. 1999, he wins the world championships. In 2000, he gets fifth at the Olympics. He just outside of the sweet spot. That is the that is that is the thing that's very difficult about the Olympics. And that's I, that that's proof to the testament of the quality of athlete that that goes to the to the Olympic athletics. Because I, I use that analogy, and I, and I use this analogy. It's nowhere near the same, but like I'm a very good jujitsu competitor. Like I compete a lot, and I love to compete. But you know that's beside the point. Every year I love to do the Masters Worlds. I go out and I do the Black Belt Masters Worlds every freaking year, and I go out and I do the. Um, you know, the, the Nogi Worlds every freaking year. And, like, I really 100% believe that everyone in my division that I compete against, at any given day, I could beat them or they could beat me. But the point of the matter is it's a matter of being on point at that moment at the highest levels of competition during the time space that you're allotted to be able to do that, to be able to win. So many factors have to fall into your into your hand to be able to do that when you're when, you know, when you're competing on that high of a level there are very few people that are true outliers i believe george ryan's an outlier in nogi jiu-jitsu and i believe he'll continue to win but there's very few people that you look at and say okay this is the guy that's going to win every single year like you have right. to have certain things go your way and the, the 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 calls have to fall your way the fates have to shine on you slightly in order for maybe you to be able to win that competition which is why it's so difficult because now not only we're we doing it every year we're doing it every four years. And after four years, like I if I had to do everything four years, four years from now, you might not be the same athlete you were four years ago. And and if you've ever if you've ever practiced, like we do training camps. Well, I'll you 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 fight against and train against these people all the time, all year long, everywhere. We're good, um, we're good. Right. So if you don't make the Olympics, like I didn't make it in 2000. Right. You can feel the difference of the bodies that you're going against as they get closer to the Olympic games. Right. It's like, it's like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't fight with this guy anymore. Like I got, I got hurt training with the, with the guys that were going to the Olympics. Their, their bodies are so hard. They're in such good shape. And everybody in that pool is raising to that level. It's, it's unbelievable. Like the, 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 the level of athlete in that Olympic pool, when they're getting ready for the Olympics, they're almost machines. 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 <laughs> yeah, machines. <laughs> I'm hearing so myself for you, some reason. Yeah, a little bit. So you talked a little bit about the, uh, I don't know, the, the lack of desire after you've attained a goal of that level. 
Um, and you know, I experience that myself sometimes, like, cause I've been competing for fucking ever and I'm nowhere near again. I, I always, I say this, but I just say it from a, from a, from a weekend warrior. I've done some pretty cool things, but I'm nowhere near the athlete that you have. No, I've, I've, I've never achieved, you know, any, any of the amount of acclaim that you have, or even other people in the jujitsu community from what they have. But I also understand what it's like to grind and grind and grind. And- Daniel, Daniel Cormier went to the Olympics with me in 2004. It is literally 2020. It's 16 years later. Right. And, e- and even 10 years outside. If you've ever seen Cormier on video, Cormier does not look like what he looked like when he used to compete. Does he does he take his paycheck seriously? Yes. Would he line up and wrestle looking the way that he looks? No. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, I understand what you're saying, 100. You know, no, to a certain call out Daniel Cormier. <laughs> no, I, I know DC. I, I, mean, I just texted DC the other day. Like I yeah. know DC. I love DC. DC is. I'm going to tell you that there was a time period where DC put the fear of God into people when he stepped on the mat. I watched DC practice at the Olympic Training Center. I watched him compete at the Olympic Training Center. DC. John Jones is a phenomenal athlete. He's an outlying athlete in that pool of athletes. And at the same age, John Jones would not be in the discussion athletically with Daniel Cormier in his prime, period. Daniel Cormier, when he went to the Olympics, he plays fourth. He was one of the best athletes that was on the field at the Olympic Games. Yeah, I, 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 I understand that, again, in my limited ability to be able to recognize that because, I, I like, I've competed since I was a fucking kid. You know, I, I used to wrestle in high school. I boxed. You know what I mean? I started doing jiu-jitsu. Like, I've always, it's just something inside of me that I love, and I do it just because it's a part of my life. I don't know. I can't think of a world where I'm not doing some kind of competition and my body's starting to break down, so I don't know how much longer I can keep competing at a high level, but I'm going to keep doing it until, like, Whatever happens, because I love it. Now, the idea is, is it doesn't burn inside of me the same way as it did when I was in my 20s, when I was in my mid-20s. And like to understand that on another level, when you make the comparison between Daniel Cormier and John Jones, not only is Daniel Cormier you know, 10, 15 years older than John Jones. I don't know the exact age, but I'm sure it's at least 10, 12 years, right? He has been competing at a very high level, at the highest level of competition possibly a imaginable. period of time. That fire. My NC2A time. Yeah. Not, not, and people don't understand the difference between, the, for, between an NC2A champion and a U.S. national champion. A U.S. national champion will slap an NC2A champion and toss them out the window, okay? They just, they just, just, the levels are just so different. Uh, he, he, he's top of the world, top in, in, on a collegiate, top U.S. nationals. Top in the world, does the does the Olympics com- travels internationally, comes on through, starts competing in the UFC, does well in that. Like these these cycles are highs and lows, and then there's some personal losses and issues that Daniel has had in his life. But let me tell you something that he's managed extremely well, extremely well, and we've seen him managed poorly. But he's managed extremely well. He really What did you say? He really is a class act. Oh my gosh, class act! He really is across the board. Hey, and listen, and it is hard to deal with that level of mental stress 
over and over and over again. There's a point in time when he's gonna be, hey man, I'm I'm good, and he has enough money now. Right, and it's well, so I, I, let's, let's say, let, let, let me let me say this. Let's look at Ben Askren. Okay, Ben is a funny dude. All right, Ben fights. Ben Ben goes to the Olympics. Okay, Ben comes back, and then Ben's fighting. All right. Ben made Ben made his money overseas. Good money too. When Ben came to the UFC, Ben had been out of the Olympic level for a while. I don't see how his I'm not saying that it wasn't. I don't see how his motivation could have been super, 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 super high. Because think about it. Even Ronda. I don't see how if you lose like Ben lost or like Ronda lost, if your if your motivation was super, super, super high in MMA, what would you do? You scramble, scratching and clawing to come back and they, but it wasn't about that. What was it about for them? And it's not a bad thing. Money. I don't know. It's about money. It's about money, right? I think. Oh, I man. think in the ter- I think in the case of Ronda Rousey, she was motivated to put uh, women's MMA on the map, and I think that was something that was that was a, a deep motivating factor for her and and they 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 rode that horse and they hitched their wagon to her in that regard and i think it kept her motivated but i also think she lost a little bit of motivation when she started right. getting famous and just didn't, yeah, didn't but care about it anymore. so it's a cash grab thing yeah so ronda starts getting famous when she starts getting famous the movie's opportunity comes when the movie opportunity comes that time that she should have been laying down that foundation for the stuff that she would need later on in mma she didn't do that work but she grabbed the cash when she could. Right. So she, well, that's, so that, 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 that kind of reminds me of Conor McGregor, you know, like he was rising star in the UFC has his first loss to, and he's got like a ton of outside MMA things going on. And he's got uh, his first loss against Nate Diaz immediately after that, according, according to all the interviews from people that knew him and like John Kavanaugh, he's like, no more press, like no more like movie deals, no more like, Outside appearances, I'm just going to be training. Like, I'm just going to be training. That's it. I'm going to tell you why. Because um, Dana told Ronda the same thing, and I know he had to tell Connor the same thing. He Trust me when I – this is Dana's word. Trust me when I tell you you're going to make more money in MMA if you just concentrate on the MMA. If you concentrate on the MMA because, because of the push that they were giving, you make more money. Like, Ronda had a good cash grab, and then she's out. Beautiful thing for Rhonda is, man, Rhonda, her agent was the same agent for The Rock. So that's how she got into WWE. Right. And then her friends, and then you had um um what's my girl's name? Not Marina, not Marina Shafir, but uh Shayna. Shayna. Shayna Baszler. Shayna's trained by um my man Josh Barnett. Huge, rest, huge wrestling background. Josh Barnett is the man, buddy. He is. I've, I got to hang out with him a couple of times. He's right one night. It was pretty fucking cool. We went to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles in L.A. and talked shit one night. <laughs> Bro, awesome, dude. Exactly. It has an amazing historian mind of, of the art of fighting. Sorry, go ahead. But let me, yeah, uh, this, just a just sidebar, Josh Barnett. Josh Barnett has to be the most eclectic white dude I've <laughs> ever met in my He's life. He's a little – eclectic is a good Bro, word for it. He's out. a little I'll off. He's a little bit off. He can have a discussion with you about jazz, R&B, soul, death metal, and then jump into judo, jujitsu, 
catch wrestling and then talk politics and and let me say something and not sound like an idiot. No, I mean so, I'm going to tell you I'm going to specifically with Josh Barnett and I think I brought it up on the show before I even got into MMA. Uh, super seriously i was a huge magic the gathering like fan that was like my thing that was my hobby and like like, all throughout high school Mm -hmm. and i I watched this like magic the gathering card game youtube channel and they had they said they had a special guest coming on and this massive viking looking dude just sits down at the table and he's like hi i'm josh barnett i'm the war master and he's just playing this card game (laughs) And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And at the time, he was probably, you know, he was strike force champion, UFC champion, uh, professional wrestler from freaking uh, – that's pretty funny to hear. I know a lot oh, of man. dudes like that. I'm not a lot of UFC guys Bro, like hey, that. Hey, let me tell you something. So, I'm, you know, I, I train with Jeff. I'm really good friends with Jeff. And I talked to Jeff. Um, and I asked him what it was like when he fought Josh Jeff, Jeff Munson we're talking about now, yeah, right? Jeff Munson. Right. He said, he said that was, a, that was a, one of the few times in my life where I was really worried – about getting hurt seriously injured. He said, and Josh, he said, Josh beat me. He said, man, but he didn't try to hurt me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he could have if he wanted to. No, he could have exactly because there, there were some compromising positions where Josh could have really hurt him, hurt him. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. He, he, he beat him, but he didn't hurt him. Yeah. You know what I'm He's he's his catch wrestling is is on point, man. He is a tough, mean son of a bitch, man. And like all, all the elements of catch wrestling that incorporate catch wrestling, the meanness, the lack of regard for your opponent. Because I've trained with a bunch of catch wrestlers that have trained catch wrestling. One of my black belt buddies, it's one of my my favorite training partners in the world. I mean, not my favorite training partner because it sucks every time you roll with him. But he's a big, big catch wrestler. He's got a big catch wrestling background, and it sucks, man. Rolling with catch wrestlers is the fucking worst. Every time you roll with a catch wrestler, I still believe in jujitsu's in jujitsu's uh, hierarchy over that. But that's just my personal opinion. I'm jaded to that to that to that regard, but or you know, stilted to that regard. But like rolling with catch wrestler guys is not fun at all. Everything they do, every every ounce of energy they have is painful to you. You're gonna have some every time you roll them, something's gonna hurt. <laughs> There's another another story about that, <laughs> but it's. I think. I think okay, let, let me say this to this point. Let, let's get back on on, on track here. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. So Josh Barnett, catch wrestler, goes to the Nogi World Championships and, and Jiu-Jitsu and wins. That can't happen, man. Right. That can't happen, man. Yeah. There, there's lots of stories about lots of rule changes too that a lot of these Brazilian guys slightly implemented because they were they didn't really like the Americans winning all the time. And no, yeah, shout out, it. shout out to Keenan. Like every no, yeah. every year, silver medal. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, no, 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 uh, no harm. Yeah, Keenan. I used to coach Keenan. Keenan, that's right. That's right. You probably you probably yeah. Keenan as a kid. Keenan, um, I never beat Keenan at all ever. Yeah. <laughs> He's a phenom. He's a phenom. phenom. And not just a phenom. People forget the days of Lloyd Irvin when he trained it because Lloyd don't mess around. You train like an animal when you train Lloyd. So your your entire existence is training at the gym. And and again, I don't want to get into it because you could take that for whoever it was. There was issues that popped up about that. But the long and short of it is – is you're a trainer. You're a freaking. You're a machine, and that's all you do. And, and Keenan came from that background. I think that's part of the reason why he's a little bit le- a little bit laid back now the way he is now. But right. But, I, but I'm gonna tell you what, man. And and Keenan's won. I think he's won a lot more no gi than he's won gi. Yeah, he has. He always yeah. Said. yeah. And then I, yeah, it just he is absolutely 
I'm talking about absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. And to to the point, this is this is one of the things that we were talking about. And you guys might have to cut this up. Anybody got to cut it up? But Keenan said, he said for sure, ghee is more difficult than no ghee. He said, it, well, yeah, just- he actually he just he went on um, one of the flow grappling shows and he specifically said that just because there's there's oh, more options, there's more grips, there's more pathways to victory, and so you got to worry about more combinations, permutations, and opportunities in the gi than there is no gi. Mathematically, it is more difficult. It's harder. The gi is based upon it's a it's a game based upon friction, cloth and cloth. The no gi game is based upon it, it's a, it's a viscosity game because it's it's a lot of it's sweat and liquid allows you to slide in, in and out. When you think about no gi, even when you're rolling, you're thinking about I'm gonna scramble out of here and get to the next move. You don't put the same premium on getting stuck in a spot like you do in gi, because in gi you're not always getting out. You're not getting out. Right. Yeah, it's it's true. The athleticism plays a little more role in no gi than it does in gi because in, there's the friction, there's the grips. So you, you have to really pay attention. Yes. And I don't care what anybody says. And I'm, and that's I'm, I'm not to say that no gi grappling doesn't have absolute technical, uh, technical you know, approaches to it. It's just different techniques. Different techniques. When you're when you're training the gi, you can't respond with just pure brute strength or athleticism anymore. It's just a fact. You have to focus on the techniques. You have to use the techniques because you can't. You're literally stuck. You're literally stuck with a grip or you have the friction, but from the cloth, there's just, it's just different. You have to focus on technique. That's why I always, and I believe that, you know, so many people at the top levels of MMA and coaching still institute with their fighters. Hey, if you want to get better, you should consider training in the gi and should not sacrifice your gi training. And the reason why they do that is because, you have to put a premium on position. Right. And Gee, I know if this person passes, I'm I'm not gonna be able to get out. Yeah. With no gee that pass. <laughs> Ta-da! No, but that, that that's not that's not that's not happening in Gee. And I and, and, and it and it irks me when I see people who are I'm gonna say it the way I'm gonna say it. <laughs> I, I don't like I don't like I don't like to see blue belts in jujitsu who don't who don't know the gi man. Yeah. Don't don't tell me you're a blue belt and tell me you're a blue belt in American grappling, okay? Tell me you're a blue belt in submission wrestling, but don't tell me you're a blue belt man and you you don't you don't know how to pass you don't, you don't know you know the standard gi shows kata jujiji main nami jujiji don't tell me you. You're a blue belt. So, I will, I will, like 10th, so real quick, 10th Planet, you know, famously dropped the gi. They still, like, use the belt system, though. In your mind. But they, that, but they, but they, say, they say what they are. We are 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. It's a good, it's a good distinction. It's a very good distinction. Okay, I, good, when, I, when I look at a 10th Planet guy and he say, hey, man, I got my, I got my black belt from Eddie Bravo. I'm a, I'm a 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. So no problem, man. Yeah. So it's in the distinction. It's a distinction. Yeah, they still call it jujitsu, but we understand in the jujitsu community when you say that, I'm not assuming that you know a, a certain body of knowledge. I'm, I'm, I know that you're being honest. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I don't. I, no, 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 hey man, I'm a, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. All right, man, let's put the gi on. I don't train gi. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's you know it's funny it's funny you say that because i think of that a lot and i i really do a lot i i if i because i know guys that train in in no gi like dan martinez is a great example of that dan martinez is is you know he's an amazing like to say dan martinez is not a black belt is an affront to all black belts out there because he's amazing and i also understand that dan martinez just doesn't like to train in the gi he just whatever does he doesn't want to do i think maybe put a gi on once or dan, twice a kid dan dan has put on a gi though yeah, that's that's the point. The the point I'm trying to make is is like it's a choice. But I also understand and respect the fact that like if Dan Martinez put on a gi and he rolled with me, like it wouldn't take too long for him to figure out what to do and how to grab onto things and how to and, use and, that and, to manipulate himself. And I'm glad you use that. So Dan Martinez, he goes all the way up almost about purple belt. He still puts on the gi sometimes. Right. And then he made a decision for his professional career and pathway and choice that he wants to take off the game. He wants to do. Th- I'm cool with that. I've rolled with Dan. I rolled with Dan in the beginning. I rolled with him like about a year and a half ago. You know, I had, he's, ex- he's superb. Okay. Right. He's like the second coming of Arroyo. Yeah, and maybe it might be better. It, think, and he should be. I think he could, I, I'd never say that because no, you, you don't, you don't tell be. those stories, but he, he could. Yeah, but he should be because if he has, he's been able to live off of the knowledge of you, of Rob and Arroyo who, and Robbie who have been around boiling up. That he, Everybody didn't have those options. He can look back and grab knowledge from all those places you guys didn't have. He should, the, the next generation should be, and the, and the iteration after that, should be better. You know what I'm saying? He, he's superb. But so, he understands the importance. Let's talk about that for a second. I, I, I like that because I, I, I think I know it's getting a little bit late, but we, we, I got a few more questions I want to ask you because yeah. I love you. I, I like the way this is going. I really like your, your opinion on things because I know you've been around the sport for a long time. And you've got a Roddy, lot of- I want to let you know right now, you might have the most pleasant voice of any person he I've does, ever heard does, in my does life. Doesn't he have a good voice? Like, like, not just, just in the show, just in life. I'm like, man, <laughs> this guy explained. Oh, man, I, think I appreciate it. Like, you if can't this help guy to listen to like, if I got to get told that cancer is destroying my body, please, for the love of God, let Roddy be the guy telling me. Because I'm like, ah, oh, you know, it, it could be worse. <laughs> well, let, well, let, me say, let me say this for the people who are listening. I started jujitsu in 1998. All right. I started jujitsu in 1998. Um, I went to the Moon Gels in 2001. I played second in the Moon Gels. I lost to a guy by the name of Kimball Goo. Um, I had Rafael Lovato in my weight class. I also had, um, I competed against Lovato. I also competed against, I, I forget the guy who promoted um, Chael Sonnen, his coach. I competed against him too. Um, Fabio something, isn't it? Yes. Something like that, I forget, yeah. I ended, I ended up winning versus him. I, I can tell you right now, I can tell you right now, the only reason why I beat Rafael Lovato, Rafael had a broken foot. His foot, I mean, not not no A in my foot's a little bit. No, his foot was broken, broken. I couldn't pass his guard. I went on an advantage. <laughs> Listen, Rafael Lovato is sick like the flu, but hold on a second, keep talking. Yeah, he's he, he, like he's really really good. Um, he damn Kevin just left, and it was his question that he was going to ask. That he, that that guy, honestly, sometimes he's just he's just too much. But yeah, you you keep. I want to hear like more about the the fight, yeah, so, like how you yeah, felt. So I, I did. I did. Um, I got second in the worlds in, in two thousand one in jujitsu. 
Um, I lost the Kimagoo. It was. Uh, Helson ran on the mat and did the thing, and they did the referee decision, and then I, yeah, I lost. And that happened to me too at the um, at the Pan Ams. I got second in the Pan Ams. Um, unbelievable stuff. As, um, as someone that's competed as long as you have, and someone that's obviously been around jujitsu as long as you have, and come from one of you know, got your black belt under one of the pillars of the jujitsu community, and the old, the old, um, old school, old school jujitsu. When you see modern jujitsu um, competitions, do you feel like the art is growing or diluting? And I mean that in terms of because you hear sure. the big debate, you, you hear the big, and you, you, you understand where I come from that because you hear the biggest thing that the old uh, jujitsu heads talk about is how the art is growing less and less from the self defense principles of what, right? I, I, I'm kind of the same opinion. What do you feel about that? And the, the, what made me think of that is when you talked about Dan Martinez, how he was able to draw for myself and Robbie and Matt to see how the art has evolved over those times. Do you think the evolution of competition jiu-jitsu is starting to uh, distort the original uh, martial art aspect that jiu-jitsu had? I don't think it's going to distort it. It is going to permeate the fabric of his existence existence but it's right. not going to distort it um i think the world of the people who compete i don't care if it's judo or jiu-jitsu or freestyle wrestling that those guys who are competing they're innovating just like just like when you competed i compete they, they, they are innovators they, they are they're they're given a skill they're given a, a rule set and then they massage their skill set around the rule set in order to come out with a technical advantage so they can win that that is at the end of the day what a martial artist does. They are practicing the art. They're practicing the art and applying it to a sporting context. They're moving like water. They're doing exactly what they should do. I, to knock what they do from a self-defense standpoint, it kind of pisses me off, okay? I don't do it. I don't teach guard pulling at all, personally because I believe in the takedown game. Right. And I think that it, and watch this, let me go back so we can agree. Guard pulling affects the takedown game because it creates an option that if it's difficult for me to take this person down, instead of finding another way to take them down, what I'll do is I'll pull. I can't pass the guard right now. So instead of me deep diving on what I can do to pass the guard, I'll go to the leg locks. Right. Gotcha. Right. And the devolve and, and and it continued to devolve so, based upon so, so, that exactly. So in it right. So that is where it implodes because it implodes at the at the cognitive intersection where I got to choose if I'm going to go the hard way and Robert right. Frost's thing and take the the road not taken. Look at or you. Oh, oh. We need a PAT to quote Robert Frost here, so that's what we, that's what we got out of that. <laughs> that's what we have here, man. I I see I see you. This is what I always say. Two roads in yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one travel long. I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where I've been in the undergrowth. Then took the other just as fan, perhaps having the better claim because it was grassy and wanted to wear those without the passing there had worn really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no steps had trod in black. Or I took the first for another day, yet knowing how way leaves on the way, I doubted I should ever return back. And I shall be telling with a sigh, ages and ages hence, 
two roads diversion or whatnot, took the one less traveled by. That has made all the difference. See, we're not talking about Robert Trump. <laughs> Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about every grappler in the world is going to be presented with a cognitive intersection where they're going to have to choose, do I take the difficult path and find a way to win and figure this thing out, or do I just move over here to the thing that's easiest? I had to talk with Robbie Donofrio the other day. Robbie said, he said, man, once I know how to do heel hooks, I was heel hooking everybody. It was easy to heel gave it. And I just did a deep dive on the thing. Now, most people don't stick around jujitsu as long as Robbie does. Right, right. So they don't learn all the things that Robbie did pick up and learn over time. 100%. Yeah, like yeah, I, I would, would Robbie, Robbie is, is yeah. Robbie, Robbie is, uh, uh why am I going to make it? Shit. Shit. Keep talking. Because you sound, you, you sound so good. You listen to yourself twice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I hear it. Robbie goes back and picks up everything that he needs because he stayed around long enough. Let's all agree. Let's all agree that the attrition rate that we, we know that the most of the attrition happens at the blue belt level. Right. And the, the point I was, I'm not getting the echo anymore. The point I was trying to make is this, like Robbie Norfrio is a leg lock expert, leg lock specialist. Dan Martinez is a leg lock specialist. Both of those guys will pass my ear cards like it's butter <laughs> simply because they understand not with the gear on, not with the gear on they won't and I'll not put, with, no, I, I, I shouldn't say that I shouldn't say that Rob. I shouldn't say that <laughs> I've, I've rolled with you in the gear we've got video of that you're, you're a goddamn good gear practitioner yeah but I, in, 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 no, in no gear I tell people in no gear I'm a perfect belt no gear Right. I always say this when, when we talk about the evolution of sports jujitsu and, and and where it's come to now and why we see all these things and and we talk about the old heads that talk about how jujitsu is getting diluted in that regard. Like I just think it's ignorant, and the reason I say that is this: is because like when me and you have to go against each other, me and you are competing with each other. Like I'm not going to implement an X Y Z strategy, A B C strategy easily. Why? Because you understand all the advanced nuances of jiu-jitsu at, at a mastery level. So whereupon that, I have to branch off. I have to create new and interesting ways to try to confuse you, compl- or to, to, to beat you, and, 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 and pick ways to make things more complicated. In a self-defense aspect, you're only going to go to A, maybe B at the most. It's not going to take you – it's not going to require those complicated routes. Now, it might, and, you might, and you'll be able to, to, to implement that, but you're not going to have to is the point I try to make. So the self-defense argument is, is null and void as far as I'm concerned. The self-defense oh. argument is null and void, especially when, when I start here. If you, I'm not talking about a retired NFL football player, Okay. I'm talking about if we take an NFL lineman, an offensive or defensive lineman right now, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. and I put him in front of anybody, yeah, not I a retired guy, not yeah. a guy, no, 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 now. That's the point. And you and he grabs you or me. Yeah. We are going to get hurt. In a world of hurt, 100%. Because a, they're at that athletic principle. They're at that pinnacle. And the same thing. In, like, I, if you took – Say the 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 craziest guard player on the planet that does all these insane, intense guard manipulations, but still competes at a very high, ridiculously high level of competition, and you put them on a street in the act in an actual uh, self defense situation, 
they're going to murder anyone in front of them. You take Marcelo Garcia and you tell him right. on the street, Marcelo Garcia, we could say that is the pinnacle of competition jiu-jitsu, right? You put him on the street and you say, well, you know, his game, you know, his game isn't geared for self-defense. He pulls guard. He butt scoots around. That's not – if you put him in a situation, he's going to murder 99.999%. But, but, but here's what I tell people. You put him in a situation against an NFL lineman. Right. And an NFL lineman picks him up by his shirt or whatever and slams him on the back of his head. He's right. going He's going to get knocked out like everybody else. <laughs> to which I tell people, I say, please understand this. Your technique means dog shit. <laughs> technique is not greater than strength. That's yeah. bullshit. That really is true. It's I, only I, like that. It's only like that if the strength delta is not great enough. I you say can get that the all most the time, dude. Tenure, you can get the most technical ten year old in the world. I will slap the fuck out of him <laughs> <laughs> and beat him. I say, that, I say that all the time, and, and that's, that's because. That's because we've been around the world. We know we know what's going on. I, I you know what I mean. And I, I I remember about four years ago, five years ago, I used to always laugh because I'd see these posts that these you know jujitsu purple belts and, and blue belts were posting and saying things like talking about CrossFit guys or talking about guys at power lift, and they would be these memes of saying like you know you'd see a guy getting choked out and like tell me about how your bench press helped you here and tell me about how your how oh, your CrossFit no, no, helped no. you. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I got the I got a real specific story just with that one and. Um, it, it still taunts me to this day. So I started a jujitsu club in college just because, you know, I was a no stripe blue belt at the time and there was no schools near me. And I, I could only train like consistently during the summer, but I wanted to train year round. And so me and a few other people that were interested in martial arts uh, got to it and I was teaching class. Problem is the only other people that joined were professional level power lifters like these guys that are that are looking like bags of rocks and so i'm i'm here with my skinny fat looking ass going shit shit damn it and then like so every day like i'll i'll win by the skin of my teeth and they're like man you're really good and i'll be like (sighs) 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 (laughs) like they'll get the shoulder into me and i'll feel like i'm getting speared through the chest like they're so strong yeah that's 100% true. Like, I work I work at a bar, and I, and I hate this. I, I use this analogy a lot. I say it all the time. Yeah, I'm the big, tough guy, but it's true. I work I work at a dive bar, and part of my job is physically removing people. And I'm a bad dude. You know, I'm a fucking – you know, I'm a jiu-jitsu world champion. I'm a black belt jiu-jitsu world champion. You know what I'm talking about? Like, And to say that I don't look across the room and see some yoked-up ex-Marine or some yoked-up CrossFit guy and think to myself, oh – this guy really, he's in for a, he's in for a surprise. You know, I'm sure he can deadlift a thousand pounds or 600 pounds, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to know. What I tell myself is I say, I, I do believe I'm going to win, but I, I, I'm accepting the fact that I'm going to get hurt. Right. And that, that leads us back to the whole reason I wanted to have you on her. And one of your greatest things to talk about when we talk about how athleticism is important oh and, 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 and why, athletes at that highest level in the olympics in the you know in the ncaa's it's because they work on building their athleticism to the, and they build up the tandems or splits their strength training they're doing nobody, which i see the ufc and other places starting to pick on right, here, exactly here's what nobody likes and i gotta get ready to go here's what nobody likes yeah me too nobody likes to feel like they are out of control like they, they don't have any control of themselves the key 
provides more control over the role. So you feel like you have 